start a sermon series this morning that I'm as excited about as any sermon series that I've ever preached in 22 years of preaching. 17 years ago, I preached through the Ten Commandments, and um, I am excited about revisiting that and making that sermon series a whole lot better than it was on those poor people I preached it to 17 years ago, okay? Because <laughs> hopefully I'm a little better preacher than I was then. But um, I read a book by Ron Meal. 17 years ago in preparation for that sermon series that talked about the tender commandments from the heart of a loving father to his children. And it changed the way that I no only looked at the Ten Commandments, it changed the way I looked at God. Uh, through the Ten Commandments, we see a love letter to us. In fact, you could say that about all of God's Word. But especially through the Ten Commandments, we see a love letter that God has written us. And if you see it any other way, and if you're like me, you saw it another way. You saw it as thou shalt and thou shalt not. Chains that were going to squelch my fun. And I heard chains rattling and padlocks that were going to chain me in and not let me do what I wanted to do. That's the way I learned the Ten Commandments. And God was going to smack you upside the head if you disobeyed him. But man, if, you, if that's the way you feel about him, you miss it. And you miss something more important than the Ten Commandments. You miss the heart of God. You miss the heart of God. Who directs his children and says, because I love you, child, thou shalt not and thou shalt. Because I know what's at the end of that road for you, and it's, it's not good. Don't go there, child. And because I know what's at the end of this road for you, I need you to do this. All of us that are earthly fathers understand that completely. We understand that completely. What's our, what's our job as dads? Well, our first job as dad is to love our children. That's our first job. Okay? If you, if you think your first job as a dad is to keep your children in line, your children will rebel on you. Okay, your first job as a dad is to love your kids. But then if you do love your kids, you will set parameters around your children. And you will have thou shouts and thou shalt nots for your home. If you don't have thou shouts and thou shalt nots for your kids, you don't love your kids. You don't. Because you just let them go do anything they want to do. Okay, but godly, godly parents... Have thou shouts and thou shalt nots. And if we, our earthly parents, can do that, don't you think the heavenly parent can do that exponentially? You see, when we love, it's a verb for us. It's something we do. When God loves, it's a noun. He is love. It's a completely different thing than for us. It's who God is. He's love. I, can, I, can I misquote a scripture? And I'll misquote it, but I'm saying the right thing. Um, in, in one of the Gospels, it says, um, if Mark, if you being evil know how to love your kids, how much more the Heavenly Father knows how to love his children? Now, I, that's not exactly what it says, but it's exactly what it means. So as, as good dads... We, we have thou shalt and thou shalt not out of love for our children, not because I want to be in charge of this family and you'll do what I say right now. 
Now, I've used that tone of voice more than one time in our family. But it comes from the heart of a loving father who, quite frankly, has forgot more about life than you know, son. And the Heavenly Father could say that to us. Mark, I know what's at the end of that road for you, and it's not good. Don't go there. And so he gives us the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments start, they, cut, they show up in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that's fascinating that they're repeated twice, and that's a whole sermon in itself, and maybe we'll have time to get there, or maybe we won't. But it's fascinating to me the way it starts in, in Exodus chapter 20, because the first commandment shows up in the third verse of Exodus chapter 20. But we got verse 1 and 2 first, and verse 1 and 2 is crucial. Because verse 1 and 2, along with some other verses that we'll look at later, set the context for all of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, and God spoke all of these words, I'm the Lord your God. He's speaking to the Hebrew people now, right? Okay, I don't have a whole lot of time to go through the history, but he freed these people from 400 years of Egyptian slavery and Egyptian bondage. Okay, that's what he's just done for them. And he says, I've, well, look what I've done to, to you. Look what I've done for you. Look what I did to the people of Egypt. I have freed you from Egyptian bondage. I have freed you from slavery. I have acted first. I have shown grace, love, and mercy to you. Now that I have acted first, now that I have been gracious to you, now that I have freed you from Egyptian bondage, then he gives the Ten Commandments. It's not... People think the Old Testament is all works. No, it's grace. Look at look, number two. It's dripping with grace. Because I've done this for you, this is how you are to be my people. It's not just go out and do this and go out and do that, and if you do that, then you'll go to heaven. No, he's already freed them. He's already released them. He's already freed them from Egyptian bondage. I've done that for you, he says. Now, here's what I want you to do in response to me in response to my love, in response to my grace, in response to my mercy to you. This is what I want you to do for me. It's always grace first. It's always mercy first. It's always God acting first. And he says, I've done this for you. If there's any time I get more irritated with my kids and I can get so mad I bite a nail into is when we're on vacation and my kids get irritable on vacation. Here I am spending all this money, and my kids are not acting grateful. Now, I know your kids never done this. But you know why I get irritable with them? Because I've done this thing for you. Now I expect you to respond. What God has done for the Hebrews, he then expects them to respond. We understand that. We get that. And God says, I've moved first. I've I've shown you grace. I've shown you love. I've shown you mercy. Now, have no other gods before me. Now, some of you really need this. And some of you aren't listening to me right now because the Buckeyes lost last night. And you just, you just can't deal with it. And they not, they, only, they not only lost, they got spanked. And you just, your day is ruined. And God comes to you and says, you should have no other gods before me. 
And don't laugh at that. Because I spent a lot of years of my life with Kentucky basketball being the God in my life. And I didn't think I could be happy without Kentucky basketball. And so God says to all of us, watch these little G's in your life. Oh, we would never ever say they're the big G. But you've got to watch all these little G's. And you should have no other gods before me. If you translate this literally, verse 3, if the American Standard Version is the most literal word-for-word -word translation, and they translate this, you shall have no other gods before my face. Have you ever told anybody to get out of your face? Let's be honest. Now, I know you're too loving a person to ever do this, but have you ever told your kids to get out of your face? I have. I mean, I have. This has been bugging me. And, 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 and look over my shoulder on my phone. We wouldn't let them go on, on the, the computer, so they, had to, they thought they were fooling me by looking over my shoulder because I was on the computer or on my phone. And I just I feel crowded, man. Just... <laughs> I, then maybe that makes me a lousy dad. I think it makes me human. I don't know. Just... <laughs> and God says, you shall not have no other gods before my face. Now, this was in the context of the Hebrew people who they just left Egypt where you had a moon god and a sun god and a river god and a crop god and, a, and, a, and a, all kinds of gods. Just all God's children had gods. So, so a polytheistic society, poly means many, theistic means God, they came out of a polytheistic society. And he says to them, you shall have no other gods before me, before my face. Not because God is put, put out with it, because he knows I can't deal with all these other gods crowding my allegiance to him. It's not a God that says, get all these gods out of my face. It's, it's, they're, they're bugging me. No, no, no. He knows I'll be bugged. I'll be tempted. I'll be tempted to pull my allegiance away from him because I can't deal with all these little G gods. And the little G gods are everywhere. And I know none of them are a big G God for you. I know every one of you who say that, that, that Yahweh is the big G God for you. But how many little Gs do we deal with? And that's exactly what God is saying. You still have no other gods before my face. All these little G gods that you learned about in Egypt, the moon God, the river God, they're not even gods. I'm the Lord your God. And you still have no other God before my face. God is a jealous God. And he's not jealous like some little, some little flighty teenage girl is jealous of her boyfriend. He's not jealous that way, okay? He's jealous. He's jealous of other gods in my life because he knows that other gods in my life is not good for me. You see, God's holy in his jealousy. I'm selfish in my jealousy, and you're selfish in your jealousy. God is holy in his jealousy. And a holy, jealous God doesn't want anything to come in your way of you focusing totally on him. He's jealous because he knows all these little G's will divert your attention. And there's nothing down that road for you, child. Here, right before my face, look square in my eye. Don't be looking at all these little G gods. That's what he's saying. And he's not saying it because I'm a big God and I deserve all the glory and, and how dare you even have. No, he's saying, Mark, Mark, I love you, child. 
And these little G-gods are going to mess you up. It's right here, Mark. Mark, it's right here. Look here, Mark. That's the heart of a loving father. That's a, that's a father. That's a, that's a loving, merciful God who knows the best for his children. We don't know the best for our children. We don't know the best for ourselves, do we? Do we know the best for ourselves? If we do, why do we have people on pornography this week? If we know the best for ourselves, we don't know the best for ourselves. And just like I've forgotten more about life than my boys know, God has forgotten more about life than I know. And a loving father is trying to instruct me and trying to tell me and trying to guide me and protect me and prompt me because he wants a blessed life for me and he wants good for me. And he knows that good is looking him square in the eye right here. Right here. You shall have no other gods before my face. Because I love you. And all these other little gods, they will crowd out your attention. And you won't be able to focus attention on me. Now, how do you know what your gods are in your life? We don't, we don't sit down and worship uh, an idol like they did in the book of Exodus that make a golden calf. We don't do that. We're, we're too sophisticated for that. We don't have little idols like I'm sure that many people in the Old Testament had. They had little gods in their houses, and, and they, had, they bowed down and had a little worship in their houses. They, they, just had, they made all these idols made of, of stone and wood, and that's why you've got one of the commandments coming up in a few weeks too. But uh, we don't have those. We're sophisticated, educated people. We don't have those gods. But I have my own gods. And you probably do too. But sometimes they're hard to see. How do you know where your gods are? What do you fear? What do you fear the most? What do you fear the most? I should have brought a video in here that Danny Cancino posted on Facebook. It was, is this, is this comedian, he's a Christian, and he lives in L.A., and he was driving in his uh, car, and he had, you know, had, was a camera over here, so he was driving and talking to the camera, and, he, and they live in L.A. And he said, my wife is just all freaked out in 22 minutes. North Korea can, can, can have a nuclear bomb here. And, and he's saying, I just told her. I said, why are you worried about that? What are you going to do about it? I mean, I can't get out of even L.A. traffic in 22 minutes. I mean, they fire one at us, we'll fire one back at them. And he said, why are you worried about that? He said, the only thing you need to worry about is be right with Jesus. And if that happens, you're going to a better place. Why do you need to fret about that? Some of our fears show us Some of our fears can show us little G-gods in our life. What do you worry about? What do I worry about? And I'm not talking about worrying. Your, your, your child's curfew is 11. It's 2 o'clock. They're not in. I'm not talking about that. You're, you're silly, in my opinion, if you're not worrying if your child's three hours late. 
I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, do you know people, maybe you don't know, I have people in my life, do you know, do you know people that just fret all the time? They just fret all the time. I could tell you stories about my family fretting. Now, some of that, some of that obviously can be a mental condition. I mean, some of that, uh, people have horrible anxiety issues. And it's not a lack of trust or anything like that. So there are people that really struggle with anxieties. She wouldn't mind me saying it all. I talked about it at a funeral. As godly as a person that Garnet Beam was, she struggled with anxiety. Don't sit here and tell me that Christian people don't, aren't, don't have anxiety problems. There's not a person in the face of this earth had more, in this church that had more faith than Garnet Beam. And she had significant anxiety problems. And I only say that is to get all the, all the, the judgment out of here. Because we judge other Christians because we're supposed to be happy all the day. <laughs> Am I exaggerating, Becky? Not at all. And Garnet's faith was a faith that shone through her anxiety. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about some people just fret everything. Fret, 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 fret. You could see your little G gods there. Here's one that sounds really silly. I know you're going to throw stones at me on this, but it sounds really silly. What do you pray about? Praying's a good thing. God's asked us to pray. Praying's a, praying's a marvelous thing. But if there are recurring things that have been in my prayer life forever and ever, it could be a sign of me totally not giving that over to God. That most of you know, you visitors don't know, but part of the sin that God forgave of me on August 29th, 1993, when I got saved, was the sin of divorce. I was a lousy husband. My wife left me. She, she had every right to. I was lousy. Okay? And I became a Christian through that. God used that. God didn't cause that. God didn't cause that. He used that in my life to chop my legs out from under me, to show, show me what a mess I made of my life, what my self-sufficiency had done for me in my life. He used that to bring me to him. He, to bring me to him. He didn't cause it. He used it. Huge difference. So I can remember becoming a Christian and praying for our marriage to be restored, and as any good Christian ought to do. And she had left me, and da-da-da-da-da-da. And I can remember three or four months afterwards, I was praying for it. I can remember driving to, I was a school teacher then, I remember driving to work and praying for that. And I was just talking to God as I was driving to work, uh, going down Highway 61 in Cayuga, Indiana, and, and just praying about it. And, and it just, just God just got over all on me about that. He said, son, he said, you're so concerned about that. You're not focused on me. It was like, it was like he said, I didn't hear an audible voice. Okay. I didn't hear an audible voice, but it's like, Mark, do you have to have that to be happy? Can't you just be happy with me? And what I have to have to be happy that I can't be happy without, that's a little G God for me. 
Well, what do you have to have? Now, something that makes you happy is not necessarily good. There's lots of great and wonderful blessings of God that make us happy. But what you can't be happy without just may be a God in your life. So I was driving down the road, and God just got all over top of me about that. Right in the middle of praying. How about God do something like that? Right in the middle, I was trying to be all religious and pray and all that kind of stuff. And God just, just it's almost said, Mark, you're not focused on me. You're just focused on the problems in your life. And I rode the window down. That's back, back like in the olden days when we had crank windows. And so <laughs> I cranked the window down, and I said, God, here, here she is right here. And I said, she's yours. Do with her what you want. Literally. I said, if you want to resurrect this marriage, you resurrect it. If you don't, don't. I'm not praying about it anymore, God. It's yours. You know what I want. You heard me. What do you pray about? It, just because you pray about something doesn't make it a God in life. I know that. But God jumped on me that day. Here's another one. How do you explain yourself to people? Now, now stay with me. I know you don't understand what I just said. How do you explain yourself to people? Why do I do so much teaching on your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ? It's because some people identify themselves first as a lawyer, an engineer, whatever your career is. Or they may identify themselves first as a mother, a father. Or they may identify themselves first as a husband or a wife. And all those are marvelous things. It's just not the first way to explain yourself if you're a child of God. You're Christian first. And then you're a spouse. And then you're a parent. And then whatever you see fit comes down the line. You're a Christian first. You're a spouse second. And you're a parent. In that order. Biblically. So how do you explain yourself to people? Uh, My second cousin is a doctor. uh, Adam Ziegler. And he's a doctor up in Kentucky. And I know, I, I knew there was always something churning in Adam's spirit. And I, I knew God was working on Adam. And I, I, I looked at his Facebook page the other day. And, you know, Adam Ziegler. And, and then beneath that, it said, Christian, comma, husband, comma, father, comma, doctor. I said, whoa, God's doing something. God's doing something. He's getting his thinking straight. On my blog, okay, I know, I know none of you are bored enough to read my blog, but on my blog, okay, that my blog is titled, Trust Me, I'm Ordained, okay? So it's a smart aleck blog, okay? And I, I say, trust me, I'm ordained. And underneath that I, said, I, I, that I say, I'm a Christian, the husband of Sue, the father of Christopher and Levi, and the pastor of Xenia Nazarene, but I struggle to keep them in that order. Because I do. Because they can be little G's in my life. Good things. Little G's aren't bad. They're just not the ultimate. 
How do you explain yourself to people? Now, we could preach a whole sermon on, on where you find your God. What do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? What do you think about when the kids aren't pulling on your pants? And what do you think about when you're not at work? And what do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? That could mean not 100%. That could. If I'm always thinking about my church, if I'm always thinking about my church and new ministries in my church and how we're going to reach more people and this and that and that, and I'm totally preoccupied with my church, it's a God in my life. Little G, little G. What do I think about when I don't have anything to think about? So what do you do? God, God has put his finger on something in your life right now, or he puts his finger on something this week in your life that this is a little G for you. And, and, and you never ever dreamed it, but you've got other gods before his face. And you never ever dreamed that because you thought you were super-duper saint. But you've got a little G or two little Gs. What do you do about that? Well, here's what you do, and I hate to tell this story. I, that's a strong word. It's not even a Christian word to use sometimes, is it? But I'm telling you, it describes this. I hate to tell the story of Abraham and Isaac. I hate it because I don't know if I could do what Abraham did. Some of you know that story. Some of you don't. God asked Abraham to take his son, comma, his only son, the Scripture says. Because he had Ishmael. Some of you know where I'm talking about. I don't have time to go in Ishmael's story. Ishmael wasn't his son, was he? Ishmael was the son of his disobedience and his lack of trust. And because of Ishmael, it's why we have trouble in the Middle East today. Take your son, your only son, and take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. See, I, don't even, I, don't, I don't like to say it. It's weird. It presents a God that I don't even like. I don't, I don't want to preach that God to you because you're going to look at me and say, Mark, I've got, to, I've got to worship a God that's going to tell me to go stick my son on the altar. It's a biblical story. Abraham takes him up, lays Isaac on the altar. And before he sacrifices him, God says, don't do that. Provides a, provides a ram over here in the thicket. But you see what Abraham did? He laid Isaac on the altar. And what do I do with my little G's? I got to lay them on the altar. And if God wants me to, I got to slit their throat. Now, God may, when I lay my little G God on the altar, he may give that back to me like he gave Abraham back to him. But I've got to be okay if God doesn't do that. Well, a little G for me right now is I'm 10 years away from retirement. And my retirement account don't look like I'm 10 years away from retirement. So my head is spinning on ways that we can better prepare for retirement. And what do I think about when I don't have things to think about? That's one of them. And, and God convicted me as I was preparing this message and I was preaching it. And I, had to, I preached myself to my own altar this morning. And I had to go to the altar and I had to lay my retirement at the altar. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and spend every penny I have and not going to save for retirement. You're foolish if you, if you do that. 10, 10, 80, right? Simplest financial plan ever. 10, 10, 80. 10% to God. Pay yourself 10% and live off of 80% of your money. You'll retire very comfortably, right? Okay, so that, that's, it's, it's not brain surgery. It's not brain surgery. It's just doing it. But, but I'm, so I'm not saying don't save for retirement. I'm saying I have got to lay my preoccupation 
with being financially comfortable, financially free on the altar. Because who knows, maybe God doesn't want me to be financially free during my retirement. Maybe he doesn't want me to quit pastoring at 68. Maybe he wants me to go pastor some little church of 100 people part-time. If I get financially free, I'm, I'm going to be in Florida. If there's a Florida left, you know what I mean? <laughs> hey, 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 stop. That's, that's a bad joke. Stop, 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 stop. I, I repent of that, okay? That's a horrible joke. We, we got a serious issue in Florida, okay? We got a storm that's bigger than the whole state, okay? And we literally have a state that could be decimated, Okay, and we have people in this church that have homes down there. Okay, that, that's that's a bad joke. I apologize. But I got to lay my little G. Maybe my little G is um, you, single people out there. Maybe your little G is your is your singleness, and and if God doesn't get doesn't marry you off pretty soon, you're never going to be happy. And maybe you have to lay that little G right there at the altar. Maybe God will give that back to you and bring a spouse into your life. But maybe he won't. But he's still God. He's still God. How do you, how do you deal with, with the little G's in your life when you find them? You have to lay them at the altar. Open-handed. God, you have told me today that this is a little G. I want to sacrifice it to you right now so there's nothing before your fa- my face except your face. It's a big deal, isn't it? That's a huge deal. How can you ever do that? Because some of the things that are little G's are some of the closest things to you in your life, aren't they? I know that. Oh, this is big-time stuff, friends. This is, this is not milk of the word. This is meat. And how could God ask me to... He's jealous for you. And the best thing for you is to be looking at him square in the face with no little G's diverting your attention. There's nothing wrong with those little G's unless you make those little G's the ultimate. Unless you can't be happy. Unless that little G is in your life. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough. This is really tough. Does he love you that much? Does he care for you that much? More than you could ever dream. In fact, the Bible says you have to have the Holy Spirit to fully comprehend the height and the breadth and the width, the depth of the love of God. You can't do it on your own. It has to be supernatural intervention for you to comprehend God's love for you.
And the Ten Commandments from start to finish are dripping in his love for his children. Little G. Oh, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Don't get mad at me because I'm saying that that little G that means so much to you. I'm not saying. It's some of those things that mean so much of us that can crowd and God says, get them out of my face. They're a little G. It's not like they're bad. But they're diverting and they're tempting and they're getting your focus. Because didn't Jesus come along and say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. As our servers are coming to the table, it's fascinating to know that um, the Bible says that uh, Jesus is the end of the law for all who believe. The law, that's, that's all the thou shalt's and thou shalt not's in the Old Testament. There's over 600 of them. And, and the Bible says Jesus is the end of the law. And so some people think, well, there's just, if you believe in Jesus, there's no law anymore. There's no thou shalt's, there's no thou shalt. You just live any way you want to. And, and God forgives, and I sin, and God forgives. And we got this real little deal going on. It's really a cool exchange we have going on. And, and now that's not it. The Bible says Jesus is the end of the law, meaning you don't rely on your do's and don'ts anymore. You rely on what Jesus has done for you. The law still stands. The law is the walk with God. The law is the way that God wants to bless you. The thou shalts and the thou shalt nots are the way that God wants to pour out his blessing upon you. But Jesus is the end of the law, meaning you don't rely on your goodness. You don't rely on your obedience. You don't rely on your thou shalts and thou shalt nots. You rely on what Jesus has done for you. Christ is the end of the law. The verse actually says in Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. How do you find your righteousness? Is it in your law keeping or it is in the one who kept the law for you and your faith and trust is in him? And we celebrate him every Sunday morning by taking the cup and taking the bread. As you come to the table this morning, as you're even in that line, I ask you to speak to the Father. Father, and I hope that's the way that you address him. You know, my, my boys, when we pray at night, my boys are at a certain age, and it's fine right now. And they pray and they address him, dear God. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But you know what I want him to say? I want him to transition to, Father. Father. Because he's a much better daddy than I am. Some of you may want to say, Father, are there little G's? Ask him to speak to you. You, won't hear, you probably won't hear an audible voice. You'll, you'll feel something churning in your spirit. Your thought will come into your head. You won't hear an audible voice. Probably not. But God may speak to you nonetheless. And as you're in line, you are thankful because you have not kept the law. And neither have I. 
And you are so thankful that Jesus is the end of the law for all who believe. And that I don't have to rely on my law keeping and my good behavior. I can rely on Jesus' shed blood on the cross. And one kept the law perfectly and died. And I trust in him. And his death was unjust in an earthly realm. But God let the one, the one that didn't need to die for his own sin because he had none. He let him die for me. And he let him die for you. And you rejoice in that every Sunday as we take the bread and the cup. Father, you are a good God, and I'm not nearly a good enough preacher to try to preach all of that and to tell these people the goodness of your goodness. I pray some little glimmer of it has come through today. And Father, you are so good and so loving that you say, to me and to everyone else, don't have other gods before my face. Help us as we deal with this message and every one of us as we contemplate that truth. In your son's name we pray, amen.